Hey, this is Jason Martinez of the Philadelphia Flyers, and you're listening to Face Off with Chris on the Enterprise Sports Network. Raymond moves deep with it, stops, the shot, he's there, he's there, Keith Primo is able to win it, and the Flyers win the test of wills, and this baby goes back to Philly, even at two games apiece. Unbelievable! Thank goodness it's over! Welcome, everybody. Face off with Chris. Chris DeFrancesco here with you. This is episode three, I believe. I want to thank everybody who tuned in to the first two episodes. Thank you very much to Jason Martinez and Kevin Cooney for taking time out of their uh, busy quarantine days uh, to, to speak with us. This week, though, we have a tremendous guest coming on with us today. He's a, he's a good friend of mine for like the past... I want to say almost 15 years now we're going on, and um, he, you guys know him obviously very well. He's for the the age group and demographic that listen to this show, which is between 25 and 40. He is without a doubt the voice of our generation. Um, he's been the voice of the Philadelphia Flyers for the last 27 years, 25 of it uh, on television. Uh, he also is a uh, play-by-play guy for the Philadelphia Phillies for. 94 WIP Radio. Uh, he does a couple innings each and every night. Uh, he is, of course, Jim Jackson. Jim Jackson will be joining us uh, in just a few moments. Uh, we recorded this interview earlier uh, this afternoon as uh, it is Monday. Uh, so we were able to uh, talk a lot of Flyers hockey with Jim, also a little bit of Phillies baseball. Uh, Jim um, will be starting, I guess, his his little tour uh, with the Flyers. Uh, I think he said he's only going to cover like maybe like the first six, seven, eight games, maybe. Um, and then it's time for the Phillies because once you get to a certain point, as always in the NHL playoffs, that's when the national broadcasts uh, start to kick in there. So it's going to be a very short hockey season um, in terms of the playoffs and this reboot here for Jim, but he's going to go right over and cover the 60-game uh, sprint for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, what he's been doing during this whole, you know, few months off. And if anybody knows Jim Jackson, if there's one thing that he doesn't have the luxury of over the last two plus decades, and that's time off. Um, so I personally was happy to hear uh, that he was able to have some, some time off and, and be home a little bit with the family. Um, but very much looking forward to hearing his voice on television, calling our Flyers games again, and absolutely uh, excited to hear him on the radio at 94 WIP calling the Philadelphia Phillies uh, very soon. I believe next week and the week after that, we already got games. Um, but to uh, kick things off a little bit, just a little quick uh, updates here. The Flyers started their training camp uh, Monday morning. Uh, so they start things off with two groups, group A practices from 10:30 AM to 11:30 AM. And then they have group B that comes on between two and 3 PM. So basically that's phase three, uh, which is a training camp that the two groups are starting, uh, just like all around the NHL. Uh, phase four is the round robin schedule, which you guys know they've, since the flyers have already qualified for the Stanley cup playoffs, uh, they will play three round robin games to determine their seating. Uh, obviously, specific times and broadcast info will be announced, um, I, I'm assuming, within the next few days, maybe by next week. Um, so Sunday, July 26th, all teams will travel to their hub city. So the Flyers will be traveling um, 
to Toronto. Uh, between July 28th and the 30th, there will be exhibition games, obviously, to be announced. Sunday, August 2nd, the Flyers will face off against the Boston Bruins, which just so happens to be the last team they played before we went on this uh, little bit hiatus, right? Uh, Thursday, August 6th, the Flyers will be facing the Washington Capitals. And then Sunday, August 9th, it'll be Flyers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, so we are very close uh, to just being completely enthralled back into the uh, um, the spectrum of uh, Philadelphia sports because the Phillies start very soon. Obviously, looking at this, you know, within the next week and a half, two weeks, we're going to have, you know, Philadelphia Flyers hockey. Um, so very much excited for that. And uh, other cool things that are going on now with the, the Phillies that they announced today. So what's going to happen during these games is when they're in Citizens Bank Park, um, judging by everything that's going on, you guys know there will be zero fans in the stands anywhere in pro sports uh, for now. Um, so the Phillies will be piping in crowd noise. And, you know, basically you can get that from games like MLB The Show. That you can pipe in the crowd noise, so however you want it. Uh, you'll still hear Dan Baker introduce the players. Uh, players will still have their walk-up music. I believe the Phillies will also be using cardboard cutouts um, as well. Uh, so they're going to try to make this as real of an uh, in-game experience as possible. I know the Philly fanatic uh, will be present at Citizens Bank Park. I do know that he will not be allowed in the dugout or on the field. So you're going to see this big green dude just walking around an empty ballpark. So, um, you know, God forbid you give the Fanatic a little bit of vacation, right, for the rest of the season. I just don't understand the point of having um, a mascot around. But that's neither here nor there. I'm not the one paying them, so it doesn't bother me, I guess. Um, So we're going to get to a break here. And then on the other side, we are going to talk uh, to Jim Jackson. Uh, like I said, we talked for about 30 minutes. I uh, had a great time talking to Jim. Uh, like I said, you know, he started in 1993 uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers on the radio with the the late, great Gene Hart, who most people know is, quote-unquote, the voice of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, but, uh, you know, to most of us, you know, people that are my age, I'm 33, and anybody, you know, a little bit older than that, and obviously those of you who were born in the mid-90s, late-90s, um, you know, Jim Jackson is the voice of our childhood. You know, growing up, you know, my dad had Harry Callis and Merrill Reese for, you know, his his whole, you know, childhood and most of his adult life. Um, for for myself and for people of, of my age, we were able to have Harry Callis for quite some time. Um, thank God we were able to have Harry for the World Series in 08. And, you know, thankfully we've had, you know, Merrill uh, Reese this whole time. And again, thankfully we got to hear Merrill call the Super Bowl in 2017. Um, but from start to finish, you know, my generation has had Jim Jackson. Jim Jackson has become our Harry Callis and our, you know, Merrill Reese. And I got to throw Mark Zoom off in there for the Sixers. Um, just a absolute phenomenal broadcaster. Um, I've, you know, been to a couple uh, seminars with him as well, especially when I was uh, at Ryder years ago. Uh, Mark Zumoff came into a couple of my uh, um, broadcasting sessions uh, over there, and it was so incredible to learn from from somebody like him. Um, but, you know, it was it's special to get Jim on. Uh, like I said, Jim has 
basically mentored me since I was 18 back in 2005 through broadcasting camps. And then um, from about 05 to 2017, you know, uh, if I needed any advice or any help uh, being around the Flyers locker room or press box, I was always able to uh, count on Jim to, to guide me uh, the right way. And he, he taught me. Um, and, you know, I said this about Jason Martinez before, but, you know, I mean it when I say, uh, you know, Jim taught me how to be a professional. Jim taught me um, how to carry myself, you know, with, um, you know, to, to be confident in my abilities and to not, you know, take crap from people. But to be respectful, be a professional, and do it with class. And I think, you know, at 18, 19 years old, that's what was able to have me um, be in NHL locker rooms for, for over a decade. Um, and hopefully once, you know, fans are allowed back and more people are allowed back um, in terms of media, that'll be something that I will obviously venture back to. Uh, and it'll be great to give you guys um, more of an insight, you know, get players on here to, to talk here on Face Off with Chris. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot to talk about, um, with Jim, uh, happy to have him on, on the outro. Uh, I'll preview the next show that, uh, Jay and I will be doing for you guys. We preview the Philadelphia Flyers and their return to the ice. So we're just basically going to go through all, f- you know, we won't go through all four teams because the Eagles don't really start until September. Um, but Jay and I will highlight and preview, um, the Flyers, Phillies and Sixers, uh, as they, uh, get ready to get back to their respective uh, leagues and get this uh, thing underway. Uh, All right, so on the other side, you guys will hear my interview with uh, Jim Jackson, the voice of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, So thank you very much to to Jim for that. And uh, also head over to the uh, Enterprise Sports Instagram page. Give them guys a follow, Uh, Dan and Doug um, are doing a great job on that page. They're interviewing all sorts of different athletes, from all over, you know, all over the United States, any sport, college, pro, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're doing a great job. So definitely um, uh, head over to Enterprise at Enterprise Sports on Instagram uh, and give them a follow. It only helps, you know, helps me out as well. So, um, so thank you very much. So for those who want to listen to this show, wherever you're listening, if you're listening on Spotify, just know that if it's easier for you to listen on Google or Apple um, or, you know, Breaker, a pocket cast anywhere you guys want to listen to your podcast, you will find face off with Chris. So, um, we are anywhere that you need us to be. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, all right. So on the other side, we have my interview with Jim Jackson, uh, and then I'll, uh, you know, tuck you guys in good night on the other side. All right. Uh, have a good one guys and enjoy, uh, Jim Jackson. And with us now is, uh, Jim Jackson. How you doing, Jim? Doing great, or at least as well as can be expected. How are you, Chris? I'm ha- doing as best I can, like I said, and it's um, it's just been a wild time. I'm just really glad that uh, you're taking some time out to talk to us. No, it's my pleasure, and uh, if, we're, if we're talking sports, I'm happy to talk sports. We haven't <laughs> talked about much sports here of late. No, I'm with you. Now, since the last few months, they, you know, this has been unlike anything we've we've ever experienced, and. What have you been doing to kind of get through this time off? Because anyone who knows you knows that, you know, time off isn't necessarily a luxury that you always have. But um, over the last few months, what have you been doing to kind of clog up the time? Yeah, I haven't had this much time off since the summer of 2006. 
Hmm. That was the last summer I had where I didn't do the Phillies. Um, most time I've had off since then would have been during the Olympics uh, for hockey when they were going, which hopefully they're going again. And I take my family, we go to Hawaii or some place where you really want to go for two weeks. But <laughs> I have not had four months off, that's for sure, in a long time. And uh, I, I learned a couple of things. I mean, I did a lot. I, I cleaned out my office, which badly needed it, and that took about a month. Um, I did some other things around the house, got to spend a lot of time with my family, which is good. Uh, my son uh, was able to commit to a college, which uh, we were able to go out and find, and, and he's a hockey player, and we were able to go out and actually search schools that I might not have had the time to do. So there, there were some some uh, hidden good things about this, not that uh, this is the reason you want to have that kind of time, that's for sure, but I was able to do that, and I also found uh, I've been doing a lot of reading and uh, watching videos my family and i watched lost all over again the whole thing um but i, I have found that um I, I think maybe surprised myself and that you know when that day comes when we retire i'm not gonna have as much trouble as i thought i thought maybe sitting around would just drive me crazy mm-hmm. don't get me wrong i want to get back to work but i haven't been like sir crazy i've found many things to do many things to be interested in and um so i, I guess that if anything um, you know, maybe I shouldn't be feeling that day when I retire. How's that? No, that's that sounds great. I mean, we have a we have a twenty month old, twenty one month old daughter who's kind of. I have no chance to sit down and get stir crazy. So um, no, that'll she'll keep you busy. But you're getting to see some great things that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. One hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, what were your thoughts when you first heard about the shutdown? Did you think at first maybe it would be a short term thing? Like, what was on your mind when that first came over to you? Well, it was interesting. I, I was in Tampa with the team. We were set to play the Lightning that night, uh, the night before. I had actually flown commercial. I usually fly with the team charter, but uh, my son had a playoff game in his junior hockey. and So I said, oh, I'll stay and then I'll fly commercial. And at the time, we were kind of joking. I, I told them I'm kind of risking my life to, to see you because at that time, the, the, you know, the virus was not thought of to be quite that serious, but it was getting there. Um, and I knew that I was going to be on the plane. And I found that. That, that trip, I saw enough masks and I saw enough fear in people's eyes when people were coughing that it kind of brought me. We live in our bubble. They're going to literally be in a bubble uh, here in a couple of weeks, but we live in a sports bubble even in normal times and kind of isolated from what's going on in the real world. And at that point, when I took that flight, I realized yeah, this is, these people are scared. It's, it's very serious. And as soon as I heard about the NBA reacting to the one player testing positive and shutting down, um, I knew the NHL was going to have to. There, there was just too much pressure mm-hmm. at this point, too much pressure to, to for the other sports to, to move on and carry on. I know there was a thought of carrying on without fans early in the day of the game against Tampa, but then right around noon or so, they came word that they were going to put a pause on the season. But I didn't see it as short-term at the time. I didn't know once. I certainly didn't think it was going to be this long. I thought if the league got past April, they probably would have just – washed out what was left of the 1920 season. Um, and if the Olympics hadn't have been canceled, I think that would have happened. But because of the Olympics, uh, the whole TV thing opened up in the summertime. And I think that changed the NHL's perspective a little bit. And so then they were determined and they're really pushing this is they're going to, they're going to hand out the Stanley cup in September, October, it looks like. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's different for sure, but I, I did, I really didn't think it was going to be short-term when it happened. I thought it would be probably season-canceling 
They found a way around that by pushing back the start of next season. I thought they'd be more worried about just getting back and starting next season, but uh, they were willing to push that forward, and so they're they're going to try to hand the Stanley Cup out here. Uh, which is great. That um, Now, you, you today, as we record this, uh, training camp uh, reopened for the Flyers. Um, so pre-pandemic here, what were your thoughts on the team through just about 70 games? I mean, they were one of the hottest teams in hockey right before this stoppage. No, they were a lot of fun, too. It's a young team, a team that has uh, all that youthful energy. Uh, Kevin Hayes brought uh, a humor to the team, a, a looseness that, that has helped. Um, and they have a veteran core as well that, that has seen a lot here and really want to uh, you know, know the, the clock's ticking and, and want to get to the promised land. So, it, and, and putting it all together is Elaine Vigneault, who I think will win the Adams mm-hmm. Trophy as the coach of the year and should, in my opinion estimation because he, he's just done a tremendous job he, he really is a prepared coach and um and it doesn't leave any stone unturned and he's been through the wars so much that he knows how to handle players and they like him and he likes them and it, it's uh it really all just kind of came together there he had said early in the year that he would worry about how the team was playing and coming together um sometime around the holidays and sure is uh you, you would think that's right about the time the team did come together. And then uh, by the time February into March rolled around, they the hottest team in the league, one of the hottest teams. So uh, he had him in a good place. But, you know, what, Chris, I think all that goes right out the window. Mm-hmm. This is going to be so different. Um, in a bubble, no fans, um, all that time off. It's really, even though it is still the 1920 season, it's really like starting anew. And so I don't know how much of that momentum carries over. I think. In fact, they're a talented team with a really good coach is still a fact, though. And so that gives them a chance. Now, I, I had Jason Martinez on a couple weeks ago, and we talked a little bit about what, once they start playing these games again, what the quality of play is going to be. And, you know, I had the same question regarding baseball. You know, in a 60-game sprint, basically, you know, there might be a quality of play issue. Where do you see, from all your years of experience, maybe I can ask you this in both sports, what are your expectations from, I guess, a fan point of view? What kind of quality of play are we going to get from, from these sports? Uh, in, in hockey, they're going to get a full two-week training camp and then another week up there. I mean, uh, he's basically talking about those uh, round-robin games as being games that he's going to treat not like preseason games, but not like uh, – sudden death playoff games either he's going to try different players he's going to try different combinations he's going to get people ice time so they're ready in case they have to be not going to use the same 20 players for those games so uh given that you can almost treat those three games as part of the build-up too so this team will have had almost a month by the time they play i believe they're scheduled to play their first playoff game on the 11th of august and what today's the 13th of july so they'll, they'll have almost a full month of training camp so I don't think the quality of play is too much of an issue that way. I, I, teams are going to be healthier than they would have been for the regular start of the playoffs, one would imagine, unless, of course, the virus becomes a problem. And if the virus becomes a problem, it may not happen, right? Mm-hmm. I really think the biggest challenge for the NHL is getting to the bubble, mm-hmm. is getting through these next two weeks. Uh, because once they're in the bubble, they're going to be tested every day. Everyone around them is going to be tested every day. Really, what we should be trying to model after in general in our country is really going to exist inside those bubbles. And I think they have a pretty good chance if they can get to Toronto and Edmonton 
get all those teams and players in there healthy, of keeping them healthy. But the two weeks now worry me. These players are young guys. They're in their hometown, you know, hometown where the team plays. And can they keep the virus away from them over over those periods of time? Now, we're fortunate enough here to have a low infection rate here in New Jersey and, and Philadelphia area. But uh, you're looking at some of those teams in Florida mm-hmm. and not in Texas, Arizona, California. Um, that would be uh, problematic, I would think, uh, because you're looking at the, such high infection rates. So getting them to that point would be the challenge, I would think. But uh, once the play starts, I, I think these guys are competitive. I mean, they'd be competitive in tiddlywinks. <laughs> these are some of the best athletes uh, you're going to see, and you don't get to where they've gotten without being as competitive as anybody. Um, they're outliers, but for the most part, these people are, they want to win. You should see the uh, card teams in the plane. I mean, they, they want to win in everything. And so I think uh, even without the fans, there'll, there'll be that, that uh, competitive desire. And uh, with the, uh, the award, uh, the possible reward of a Stanley Cup sitting there, there'll be plenty of incentives. So I think quality of play will be pretty good. I don't think the rust will be that big of a factor. Um, they'll play some games. They'll step it up. It's a little bit, it's possible that without fans, it won't be stepped up quite to the crescendo you see in a normal playoff situation where people are trying to drill people through the wall and stuff in that first round of the playoffs. But I still think it'll be really quality hockey. Baseball, I would think the main concern would be, you know, can the hitters get their swings in the time they're going to have before they start games? I mean, they're starting games that count next week. So, mm-hmm. um you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's not that long a time for them. They're used to having a spring training that takes over a month, month and a half. They're not getting that much time. And pitchers getting ramped up would be the other question. Most of the starters for the Phillies are talking about being in the 80 pitch range once the games count. Um, but that would be a little bit different than where they'd be ramped up to, to go however long. In a regular start of the season, so there will be some things that are off, Chris. But in general, um, everyone's starved fan-wise to see mm-hmm. sports again, and I don't think they'll mind if it's not quite up to the normal Stanley Cup playoff tenor, at least at the start, or the baseball regular season just to start. I think it'll still be really good. Totally agree. Now, the for baseball, the pitching is that—that's the aspect where I worry the most because you know you hear. Um, you know, Cole Hamels talked to Jim Salisbury like a month ago saying once, if and when baseball does get back, that, you know, some pitchers, they, it, it might take a month for their arms to be seasoned, I guess, as you can say. Um, maybe that's different for a guy like Hamels, who's 36, and he just had a setback. But, you know, guys like Nola, who are a little bit younger, it might not take as long. Um, but, you know, with the Phillies returning with this 60-game schedule, and how do you think the Phillies stack up? You know, they're they're – Baseball teams are built for marathons, and this is an all-out sprint um, of a schedule. Uh, what is your outlook on the Phillies? I mean, it's an absolute crapshoot. I think even the Marlins, everyone's counting them out. In a 60-game season, they have some pretty good young pitchers. Mm-hmm. I think any team can get hot for a 20- to 25-game stretch and put themselves in a real good spot, and then who knows? Uh, so it's an absolute crapshoot. Uh, I, I, you know, as far as Cole, any pitcher in his mid 30s at this point it's, it's going to be tough you got to be really careful um, but all pitchers now the way they throw and so hard I mean for most part uh, they're even in a regular season they're <laughs> I'm sure the manager and the general managers are kind of like walking on eggshells because you just 
never know when that pitcher is going to come up with the old sore arm, sore elbow that turns into, you know, rotator cuff or uh, some kind of elbow injury. So, I mean, uh, that that's there whether it's a short season or not. Uh, it's possible. They've had enough time off, and while most of them were throwing, they weren't throwing stressful innings. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's possible that uh, you're looking at a situation where maybe they're a little bit better off and they won't have to worry about wearing out because it's such a short season. No, for sure. And it's, it's wild what could happen because, you know, you look last year, the Nationals in May were, what, 18 and 31? So that's, you know, it, it, you're right. It's basically whoever can get hot. I mean, the Phillies don't have a great start in terms of Yankees. I think it's the Yankees and Florida. So that's a that's going to be a little bit of a rough start uh, possibly there for them. Um, but now I'm going to kind of go into just rapid fire type questions with you. Um, it might go all over the place, but I, I have this question here. And you were able to cover the Flyers uh, in, from the 97 playoff run to the Cup and 2010. So which one was tougher for you to watch as a person that was familiar with both teams? Uh, 97. Uh, in 2010, I felt like we were working with house money for the most part. That was not a team that was expected to win the cup and kind of faltered down the stretch and then got in on the shootout win over the Rangers, which was remarkable. And then, of course, the three zip against Boston, doing something that had only been done a couple of times, three times. That was the third time. I mean, I, I really think that uh, that was almost a bonus. If they had won the cup, it would have been perfect. It would have been great. It would have been storybook. And it was tough to lose, especially on a goal nobody saw. But <laughs> bottom line is, '97. Uh, that was. It just seemed like that was the Flyers' year. Lindros, it, it seemed like reached the king of. The, he'd been, you know, basically the mantle been handed to him by Messi and Gretzky, and it, it, it was his time. It was the Flyers' time, and oh, well, the Red Wings sort of got in the way and just played uh, so well. Lindstrom, the stealth defender, just shut down the Legion of Doom, and uh, I mean, it was. Uh, to me, that was that was the one because in '97, it was supposed to happen. It wasn't in 2010. Now you called uh, Utica Devil uh, Devils games for a while before coming to the Flyers. Um, what was it like to get a close look back then of like Modi, Marty Brodeur before he became a star? And did, back then, did anything stand out about Marty? Did you have any idea he was going to become as great as he did? Yeah, I mean, Marty was. Uh, he was a first-round pick, so you knew he had something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and he, he was the anointed goalie of the future for the Devils organization. So it wasn't as if he was just some schmuck coming in there, right? But, you know, he had a kind of average AHL season in my one year with him. Um, he wasn't, in my estimation, a spectacular puck handler. He really worked at it, though. He was working all the time on it and became really good at it. So, uh, But uh, such a great guy and certainly had his head in the right place you thought he had a chance to be an NHL player. I don't know if I thought oh, best goaltender in maybe the entire history of the league when I was riding the bus with him, but I, I thought he was going to be an NHL goalie, that's for sure. Uh, and Bill Guerin was on that team, and, uh, you know, I, I, it was great. I spent six years in Utica with the Devils. Those are the six years the team existed. I got to work with some great head coaches. Tommy McVie was a minor league hockey legend, was there for three-plus years, and uh, – Herb Brooks, I got a full year with Herb Brooks, which was a wow. great experience. And then Robbie Fatorik the last year, and Robbie's a U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer, who is a, a guy that uh, I learned a lot from, and is actually the reason I'm in Philadelphia, because 
he was the one who suggested to me, why don't you send tapes to all the teams, not just the ones who have openings or that you know of openings. And I did that. I sent tapes to all the teams. And uh, that tape was here in Philadelphia for a month or two. And they, they got it and offered me the job eventually off of that tape, which I never would have sent to Philadelphia. didn't know there was an opening here. So, uh, Robbie, I, I owe that to him. And, uh, you know, so it, that experience was great. Uh, riding the buses at the time, you don't think it's fun, but, there's great stories from those days, and I probably have more stories in my six and really seven years. I did one year of it was the ACHL back then. Now the ECHL, I did seven years of minor league hockey. I'm pretty sure I have more stories from those seven years than I do my 27 now in the <laughs> NHL. So, uh, but uh, it, it was fun. So that leads into my my next question: Is you've been with the Flyers now 27 years from 1993 to today? Um, if somebody would have told you back in 93 that, you know, when you jumped on with the Flyers, that you would be there for 27 years, you know, you're basically the voice of an entire generation and more, Jim. And, like, what would you have said to somebody back then if that would have been an answer from someone? Well, when you first get to your goal, which my goal is to be a broadcaster for a professional sports team at the highest level, whether it be the NHL, MLB, or NBA, or NFL, um, you get to your goal, you're not thinking, how long are you going to be there? You're just hoping you can stay for the next year. Uh, and so I did two years of radio, and I mean, I got to to watch Gene Hart, who was doing the television at the time, and he is the voice of the Flyers, always will be. But it was great to be able to, to watch him. I never thought long-term, although it, it was, to me, the guys who have been with teams, no matter the sport, and, and with one team and are there year after year, those are the guys I really admire. I mean, the Rick Chanarette, in Buffalo, he was in the 70s. I mean, Merle Reese with the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go right down the list, so many baseball guys. Um, and and those are the guys that I I really wanted to be. So to me, 27 years with the same team and a great franchise. Franchise. They've won the cup in those 27 years, but they've been close and they've had contending teams almost every year. Um, it's It's been a dream come true. And I would have never thought of it when I got here. I mean, was it a dream? Yes. Did I think it was come true? I probably had my doubts, um, but it, it was um, it was it's been quite a ride. I mean, and I hope I have several years left, and I do want to be here when they do have the parade. So we got to get that done. But uh, it, it's uh, it, it's been as I, I tell everybody when my feet hit the ground in the morning, uh, not necessarily the last four months, but when <laughs> things are normal, when my feet hit the ground in the morning, I'm I'm uh, very thankful because I'm doing what I wanted to do. And I'm doing it in a tremendous sports market with great fans and uh, two great organizations. Oh yeah, last couple of questions here, Jim. Is um, when, when growing up, being wanting to be a, a a broadcaster as you wanted to be and dreamed of, were there any broadcasters that you maybe patterned uh, your style off of, or maybe just you you paid strict attention to? I'm not sure. I would say I patterned myself after them. I would love to have been as good as they were. But I had one in each sport that I loved a lot, that I listened to or watched a lot. Uh, uh, starting in hockey was Dan Kelly, who, uh, whose son John is in the league, was with me in the AHL, and then he came into the NHL a little before me. He's still broadcasting. He's in St. Louis, got the cup uh, <laughs> recently. And uh, Dan Kelly, his dad, was uh, – I just I, – I couldn't – as soon as I heard his voice calling a game, I could not look away. He – he just had a great call, and his score call was amazing. Now, football was Pat Summerall, who uh, just was the voice of football to anybody who grew up mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s. Uh, 
just uh, just the best minimalist in terms of a play-by-play guy in any sport that I think has ever existed. Uh, basketball was Myron Albert, uh, who I just loved his call and still do. And uh, when you go baseball, again, I grew up in upstate New York, so I, there's a New York influence here, but uh, it was Bob Murphy of the Mets who uh, I just – <laughs> you turn on the, the Mets and, you know, one second into the broadcast, you knew the Mets were on top or not. <laughs> and his call was just so, he almost was singing the broadcast. And it was, uh, it was, it was like poetry and the happy recap. And uh, Bob Murphy was my baseball guy. So those are my four, one from each sport. I mean, there were so many that I, I watched. I can't say I sound, I wish I did sound more like uh, maybe the combination of all four of them, but they're, they're, they're as good as it gets. So if I, I could take even a little bit of each piece of them. I'd be happy. Yeah, you've had some great partners, by the way, as well in your in your tenure with the Flyers. Whether it's Gary Dornhofer, Steve Coates, Keith Jones, uh, Bill Clement. How important has it been for you to have those types of personalities with you? And you know, does it? How much easier does it make your job? Uh, I mean, blessed is the word that comes to mind. I mean, when you think about the names you just mentioned, I mean, Dorney was my first television broadcast partner. Coates was my first NHL broadcast partner the two years we did on radio, and then he came over to TV later on. Uh, Coates helped get me involved, you know, get me in great, basically get me set here in Philadelphia. I actually lived with Coates for a couple months before I bought my house. That was an experience, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, he, he was uh, just great and so much fun. He is what you see on the air, and uh, he's just a, a blast. And then Dorney you know, was able to to help me along as a rookie TV guy. I mean, I hadn't done any television, basically just a little bit of cable, high school basketball and football, but not a lot of TV. And I moved over there in, in uh, <clears throat> the 95, 96 season, and he, he took me under his wing. And I've often said this about Dorney, if you're, you're in a war and you want someone next to you um, in the foxhole, he's the guy because you know what you're going to get all the time. He's just a, a great person. And then uh, moving on, it was it was Keith Jones, who is uh, he's uh, dumb like a fox. I like to say, he likes to <laughs> likes to uh, laugh at himself and talk about how he doesn't care and doesn't prepare and doesn't do that and doesn't. But don't let him fool you. He knows what he's doing, and he's uh, really good. And he I, Jonesy. The one thing about Jonesy that I've, I've said many times that he'll see something in a pregame skate, even in a morning skate. The times he goes and. I'm, he's looking at players, and I'm like, he's seeing stuff. Like, oh, he's not, he's not feeling good. He's, he's not, not, not good. He's not going to have a good night. He, he, he knew, he knew it. He just, he, he saw stuff I never saw. Um, and then, then Bill Clement. I mean, he's just uh, kind of a poet uh, doing a game, um, a wordsmith. He and Jonesy are my current two partners, along with Taryn, of course, Taryn Hatchard on the ice at Chris Terrian, ice level as well. So there are a whole bunch of great partners. But when you talk about Bill and and uh, Jonesy, you're talking about polar opposites in terms of their broadcast style, their broadcast preparation, their personalities, everything about it, and yet they're both so good at what they do and so fun to work with. So, as I said, blessed is the only uh, only one that comes to mind. I'm going to get to work with L.A. on radio, and he is so much fun. And Scott Fransky, I think, is the best in the business. I'm maybe biased, but I really think he's so good. And um, and now Kevin Franzen, and, you know, over the years, got to do some games with Chris Wheeler and Sarge and 
It's just been great. I mean, uh, I have been completely blessed by some of the people I've worked with and but all the people I've worked with, and they've, they've helped me along uh, every step of the way. Just an incredible group. It really is. And um, last question for you, Jim, is your favorite games that you've called uh, for the Fly- – your favorite game you've called for the Flyers, your favorite game you've called for the Phillies? Well, the Phillies, I, I was at World Series – clincher game five mm-hmm. both of them <laughs> but uh, i didn't call i was doing pre and post but uh, actually calling uh, a game for the phillies would have been jimmy rollins broke uh, Smith's, uh, hit record i was actually on the mic for that um but game wise it, it was clearly that uh, all those runs and you know eight and oh nine and even ten uh being around i was able to interview roy halliday i was the second person to interview him after his playoff no hitter on the field, I mean, that that was unbelievable. I mean, I didn't actually see the last out because we were all down in the um, umpire's uh, area there. They, for all the people going to do the post-game interviews, they heard you down there, and there was no monitor. You're only going by what you're hearing, and I had, had the uh, the call, Scott's call in my ears, so I knew what was going on, but I actually didn't see how close that came to hitting off that bat and bouncing away and being some kind of bleeder hit with two outs of the ninth. But, <laughs> but uh, that that would be the Phillies. Um, sitting next to Harry, though, when he called the championship was my ultimate Phillies highlight. I mean, he didn't get to call it in 80, and I'm getting ready for the postgame show, so I'm sitting on the other side of him. You can see in the, the TV shot Chris Wheeler doing his dance. Well, I'm on the other side of the cameraman, and um, just to be able to sit next to – a legend when he gets to live his broadcast dream and mm-hmm. it took, you know, it took him so long and God, we unfortunately lost him less than a year later, but, um, it, it was just a great moment. He had tears in his eyes and, uh, it, it was great. So that would be it for the Phillies for the Flyers. I mean, I'm asked that a lot. There's so many great ones, Chris. I mean, I, it's hard to pinpoint one for a long time. It was the 2005 overtime game with Keith Primo's goal. And that certainly is right up there at the top uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, in the 2010 run, the shootout went over the Rangers. You know, one team goes on, the other goes home. You end up in a shootout against Henrik Lundqvist. You beat him. It's tough to top that. The Game 7 against Boston, making history. Uh, tough to top that as they fall behind 3 nothing in the game and then come back and win. Um, and then there was the 0-4 uh, overtime goal by Jeremy Roenick uh, after Sammy Kapanen had been destroyed on a check by Darcy Tucker. And, had to try to meander back to the bench and you know over the over the boards comes Ronick to go down and score in overtime to send the Flyers on to the conference finals. I mean those are the some of the ones but there are other Joffrey Lupo had a game seven overtime mm-hmm. game winner. There's there's just so many of them. I I, I don't wanna I don't want to have a cheapen any of them by saying the other. But when I'm pushed I I, I think I go back to old faithful, which is the primo goal because that was NHL history and mm-hmm. Um, it still is. It's the longest game in the modern history of the NHL, third longest ever. And uh, I was lucky enough to be able to call it, and our guys won. So um, <laughs> that, that to me, was um, probably still is at the top, but all those other ones are right there. Uh, Jim, I, I want to thank you so much for taking this time out. You've been a, the number one mentor of mine, as I mentioned in the, int- uh, in the intro, for over 15 years now. So I want to just thank you so much for always um, making time. So I've for me. mentored you since you were what two years old. <laughs> no, I, I geez, no. <laughs> um, but uh, I really do uh, appreciate all the um, uh, the mentorship you've given me, and, and I'm so grateful for it. 
Well, I, it's been my pleasure, and uh, Chris, great to see you doing well, and uh, a daddy now and all that. I mean, that's great stuff. And, um, it's amazing. A lot of these people that I've talked to that were really young, I mean, in, in broadcast camps or in high school, some of them, colleges, when I first uh, met them, talked to them, and they're now doing very well in the business. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of fun to see. Yeah, I'm just just doing my best. But, um, you know, you're, you're a class act and one of the greatest of all time, man. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Chris. Take care, everyone. Yep. All right. Thank you so much to Jim Jackson for coming on, taking the time out of his uh, busy day, as today was the first day of Flyers training camp. Uh, it was awesome to talk some hockey again and definitely get into some Phillies talk as well. Um, all right. So next week's show, we have a good one for you. Jason and I will be previewing the return of the Philadelphia Flyers. It is so wild to me that it's going to be, what, the third week of July, and we're going to be doing a show covering the return of the Flyers. Um, so, you know, Jay and I talked about how um, we were on the phone the other day, and we were talking about how basically we're going to be we're gonna be entering a, a full calendar year of, like, nonstop hockey. You know, the last possible game for the Stanley Cup is October 2nd. I believe free agency starts, like, seven days later. And then I, I think, you know, training camp starts, like, the second week of November. And then December 1st, as of right now, the tentative plan is to start – regular season games December 1st and you know Gary Bettman has already said we are going to go and have a full 82 game season so it's probably going to be like another you know one to two years before the NHL probably gets back to their normal um, you know calendar schedule uh, the good thing is the the NHL and the the owners and the uh, the, the Players Association ratified a brand new CBA agreement through the year 2024. Um, you know, stick taps, huge stick taps to the NHL and the Players Association for, I'm sorry, the owners and the Players Association for, you know, um, getting this, this new CBA done. Because as we all know, historically, um, it's a, you know, a, a very tension-filled relationship between the NHL's owners and um, the Players Association. Um, just really happy to see them uh, get together during this break and, and get a brand new collective bargain agreement done. So, uh, like I said, huge stick taps go out um, to those two parties. All right, so that's going to wrap things up. I hope you guys enjoy Episode 3 of Face Off with Chris here on the Enterprise Sports Network. If you guys want to follow me on the social media, you can find me uh, on the Twitter at ChrisDFran18. And the same goes uh, for the Instagram, eh? at ChrisDFran18. Uh, made it easy for you guys since my last name can be kind of confusing and long, um, and it stops me from having to spell it out. Uh, so have a good one, guys. I'll catch you all down the road. Uh, God bless you. Bye-bye.